following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's Durham, directions or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. Good evening, everyone. Our reading today is Exodus chapter 16, verses 1 to 17. Normally, I would tell you what page it is on the church Bibles, but I don't think that will be so much use for you. I'll give you a moment to find it in your Bible or on your phone. So Exodus chapter 16. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There uh, we sat around pots of meat and ate all of the food we wanted, but you, have brought us into this desert to, to starve. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain bread down from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and to gather enough for that day. And this way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumblings against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread of the Lord given for you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer 
for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much and some little. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. For that, Zoe. Uh, as Aaron said, I think about three or four times. My name is Brandon, um, and I'm just so glad you tuned in. Uh, if we can just acknowledge how wild this is. Um, I mean, the state of the world is a bit crazy, but right now you are watching and participating in a worship service uh, through a screen in your house. Uh, some of you have made the wise decision to put us on the smallest of screens you own. I mean, you dug out your iPod Nano, which is impressive. Uh, and others of you, unfortunately, have put us on your big screens. And honestly, that's on you. <laughs> um, real quick before we dive into our passage tonight, uh, let's just say it. Let's just call it what it is. This is a bit weird. Uh, it's weird for me to be preaching to you through a screen. Uh, usually our service here in the evening is packed, and now there's only about five or so people here. Um, another thing that's weird is I can't see you. I can't hear you laugh inevitably at my jokes. Uh, I can't see you nod in understanding or agreement, mm, you know. Uh, and I can't, you know, as we do so often here at St. Nick's, uh, I can't hear you shout enthusiastically, Amen! I, and I said, I can't hear you say, thank you Zoe for laughing at the people here. Um, yeah, the, the engagement in this moment is about a bit one-sided, uh, and it is a bit awkward for me. But hear this, in this moment, you are able to fully participate in a worship service. This is not like watching a TED Talk uh, where you are, you know, there's an audience here and you're kind of like a fly on the wall and you can kind of observe from the back. No, this sermon is for you. Uh, we are talking to you. I'm not just talking to the people who are physically present in this room, though I, I am talking to you guys as well. Uh, if you're live streaming this, or if you happen to uh, watch this later this, uh, later today or this week, you know, we, are, we are speaking to you. And more importantly, I have faith that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you tonight, uh, or as you watch this. He wants to encourage you, and he wants to swap out that anxiety that you most likely have with hope. He'll trade you his peace for your fear. So with this in mind, let us be present and not passive. Have your Bible out, follow along, uh, lean into the weirdness of this season, of the season of being a, a church online, a digital church. Uh, lean into this strange time so that you can listen and obey to what God is saying to you. Does that sound good? Amen. Great. I'm going to imagine that everyone, including Logan, just said yes and amen, right? Uh, right. Now, two words I want you to keep in mind uh, throughout uh, the rest of this sermon, right? Two words, trust and rest, right? Trust and rest. Just keep those in your mind. Uh, so we've been steadily working through the book of Exodus. Uh, we've been traveling with Moses from the far side of the wilderness back to Egypt, to reclaim the name of the God of Israel, to declare the truth of the Lord, that he has heard the cries of his people, and he is coming to rescue them. He will no longer let them be oppressed by empire. After a series of plagues which showed the dominion of the Lord of Israel over the gods of Egypt and of Pharaoh himself, the Israelites were freed after a night of darkness. In this dark night, they celebrated Passover, 
And last week, we walked with the Israelites through the Red Sea, and we saw God deliver his people from the hands of Pharaoh. And now we are being led by the Lord to Sinai, his presence being seen in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. But the story is not over. Uh, One could say that this is only the beginning. The true climax of the story is not in the Exodus event itself, but in the giving of the law or the Torah. The end goal of all of this is is so that the Lord could dwell in the midst of his people, that they would serve and delight in him, that God would be with us. By giving the Torah, the Lord is creating a new identity for his people, no longer slaves, but daughters and sons, no longer objects to be mistreated or owned, but a kingdom of priests, agents who would mediate the presence of God to a broken world. By receiving the Torah, they would be a light to the nations, in that the world watching them would see the closeness and the beauty of Israel's relationship with their God. And they would say, I want that. How do I get that? And this relationship is characterized by love and affection. But, Lord willing, uh, we will cover that next week. Um, Our passage, however, is somewhere in the middle of those two realities, somewhere in the middle between the Red Sea and Sinai. They have left the world, Israel has left the world and its empires, but have not yet reached the kingdom of God. There are times uh, when, uh, when we read the Bible, and particularly the Old Testament, where it can just seem a bit dusty and dry. I mean, how does a story that is nearly three millennia old really relate to our lives? But tonight, uh, we do not have this problem, unfortunately. Um, Like the Israelites, we also have no bread. Like the Israelites, we too have no toilet paper. Uh, We too are entering into a wilderness of sorts. We are isolated and unsure of the path before us. And like the Israelites so long ago, we need to learn a lesson or two from our Heavenly Father. The path to freedom is marked by trials, doubts, and along the way, self-discovery. And in discovering who we are, we find who we are meant to be and who God designed us to be and where and what he is calling us to. Like the Israelites, we need to be reminded of our relationship with the Lord. And in this passage, the Lord wants to teach us two things. Ready? He wants to teach us to trust and to rest. To trust in him and to find our rest in him. It's pretty relevant, right? Right. So turning to our text in verse 1 of chapter 16. It's been about six weeks since they left Egypt. Right before this passage, as they passed through the Red Sea, they had traveled about three days Uh, towards the promised land, and they had no water. And then they found some water, but it was bitter, and they couldn't drink it. And they cried out, and God provided for them. right? And then they they came to a place called Elim that had 12 springs and 70 palm trees. And here in Durham, we've never seen a palm tree, but they're quite nice, I can assure you. Um, But both these numbers, 12 and 70, are, are very significant. That signifies God's overabundant blessing for his people. But now they continue south towards Sinai into the wilderness of sin. Now, quick note, this is, this is just a name. It's in Hebrew. It doesn't mean like sin city, okay? You shouldn't be hearing like the Jaws soundtrack or something like that. Um, it, it's just a wilderness connected to Sinai. Sin, Sinai, right? Make, makes sense. The more significant word here, however, is wilderness, okay? The desert. So when you've been traveling for six weeks, 
and you've almost ran out of water in, on day three, uh, the last thing you want to do is journey further into the wilderness, right? No one likes to travel through a desert. Look at verse two with me, right? In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat round pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Let's just pause there for a second. In one sense, we as readers know that this statement is just dumb. Okay, we know that the Israelites didn't sit around eating pots of meat. I mean, what even is that? Uh, Another translation has the word, I think, flesh pots, which is disgusting. Now, I love a good steak every once in a while, but I don't think I'd ever order a flesh pot at a restaurant. That just sounds kind of gross. The Israelites were slaves, right? They weren't eating like royalty. And I think that this points out that sometimes our present circumstances can blind us to the reality of our past. Here the Israelites have completely romanticized their oppression. But also, did you catch what they said to Moses and Aaron? They said that you have led us out. You, not not the Lord. Their present circumstances have blinded them both to the pain of their past as well as to the Lord's provision. Their situation made them unable to see God's grace in their life. But before we completely write off these Israelites, um, what was your reaction when you went to Tesco's and discovered that there was no bread? And that's the thing we have to understand, that these Israelites are in the desert with little to no food and a limited amount of water. This is not a recipe for success, okay? They've been wandering around the desert. It's been six weeks. They're tired. They're hungry, right? Their tour, gli- their tour guide is a cloud. I mean, yes, it symbolizes, you know, it's, it's the Lord, and it, it changes in the fire at night, but it's a cloud, okay? They're following this cloud around in the desert. And yes, the Israelites are grumbling and complaining, and perhaps they are just a tad hangry, But we can see and understand how easy it is to get to a place like this. I mean, it took us like two weeks. Let's continue in verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and and, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So his people are hungry, and so God is going to make it rain bread, which is awesome. Uh, Later in this chapter, God also promises to send quail, so it's kind of like it's cloudy with a chance of meatballs. Um, So he's going to bless them with food, but look closely at another uh, key word here, right? He does so in order to test them. This word to test shows up in the two narratives on either side of this passage, kind of tying them together with a common theme. But but what is this test? What's going on here? Well, it's probably unhelpful to think of this test as like an exam or like a, you know, GCSE, right? It's something different than that, right? Israel's not going to get a mark. Like, ooh, that's a 2-1 in worship, but a third in social justice, not good enough for uh, Oxford, but hey, I maybe apply to Durham. Um, 
shots fired there. All right. No, fortunately, this is not the case for Israel for two reasons, right? Firstly, God has already redeemed them. There is no going back to Egypt. Secondly, God's promises are thankfully based on God's faithfulness, not our own. Not our own. We will see time and time again throughout Scripture, God will remain faithful to his covenant promises. He will bless his people, though he may discipline, him, discipline them like a father. He is not going to leave Israel stranded. Perhaps it is best to think about this testing as training, disciplining yourself. You see, Israel has been, has been learning the ways of Egypt and empire, learning from the hand of oppression for centuries. And now they would need to unlearn some of these lessons. We can see this in the response to their situation. Though their fear is valid, no one wants to starve to death in a, in a wilderness, their first instinct is to return to Egypt. They have, been, uh, they have become what we would call today institutionalized. They have endured oppression generation after generation, and this has taken its toll on their self-understanding. They want freedom, yes, but internally they believe that they need Egypt to get it, that they need to become slaves again, to take an oppressive overlord um, to, get, to get and receive care. So now God is going to train them in his own ways. So look at this. What does God do? He gives them bread morning by morning. The Israelites would wake up, look outside, they, would, they discovered this flaky substance that tasted like honey. It's, it, it was like bread, but it covered the ground like dew. It was called manna because they didn't know what else to call it. Ma- manna in Hebrew means, what's that? So it's, it, it's a whatchamacallit, right? Um, it was something that they had never uh, seen or encountered before. And here's the training part, that God was educating them in what Ellen Davis calls the manna economy. God was going to provide for his people, but he had a specific way of doing it. They, and he had specific rules for them to follow as well, right? They weren't supposed to, ho- to hoard it, okay? No hoarding food. When they went to Tesco's, they weren't supposed to buy all the toilet paper, okay? They were only to take enough for their household for that day. The manna that Israel collected wasn't going to keep overnight. In verse 20, we are told that some people tried to store this bread, but overnight it spoiled. In this, God was teaching his people that he would provide for their needs daily. Morning by morning, he would show his grace and love to them. What this does then is challenge the scarcity mentality they learned in Egypt. There will be enough bread for everyone. But they had to learn something even more difficult. They had to, they had to learn to have faith each day that the Lord was going to be true to his word, that the Lord would continue to provide for them the next day and the next day. In this, the Lord was teaching his people to trust him. The Lord was teaching his people that he would be the type of God who would provide for them. And so Israel, day by day, morning by morning, one piece of bread at a time, is learning to trust in God. Next, Israel needs to learn to rest in God. Later in our chapter, uh, we are given an explanation of why God would only provide manna for six days and not seven. God would provide a double portion on the sixth day and would allow them to store it for the seventh. Uh, Look with me at verse 23. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a, a day of Sabbath rest. 
a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Before God was teaching his people to trust Now, in this command, he is teaching his people to rest. Sabbath was to be a day of rest, a day where Israel would not only cease from work, but focus their whole attention on the Lord. Abraham Heschel explains that on the Sabbath, we don't just rest from work, but even from the thought of work, which is a lot harder than it sounds. Um, The Sabbath would be an opportunity for Israel to reorient their lives to God's time. It's it's like synchronizing your watches to God's time, right, Um, with God's clock, uh, which I realize we don't actually synchronize our watches very much anymore, but you understand it. In Genesis, it says that God created the heavens and the earth in six days, and on the seventh, he rested. He finished his work of creation by sealing it with the Sabbath rest. So Israel here is learning to rest like God. Now obviously there is so much more that could be said about Sabbath and especially about how we as Christians can and probably should uh, practice it. But I'm running out of time. But now that you have so much time, maybe you can actually uh, do a little Google searching and researching and you can find more about it. But I'll let you have that on your own time. Our passage tonight echoes throughout the rest of Scripture and history. We can hear it in the book of Deuteronomy, that man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We hear it in Lamentations, as the author looks at Jerusalem being destroyed and his people exiled, and there in that darkness, in that wilderness of isolation, he calls to mind the Lord's steadfast love and his unending mercies that are new each morning. We hear it in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Manna from heaven has also become an idiom and found its way into pop culture. You can even find it in the Lord of the Rings. But this manna from heaven finds not its echo, but its harmony in the work and person of Jesus Christ. This morning, David Day preached an amazing sermon on the feeding of the 5,000 in Mark. It's like we kind of planned it or something. Uh, But in the Gospels, there is this theme of Jesus providing bread. Like the God of Israel, Jesus too would provide bread. But in the Gospel of John, it is recorded that Jesus took it one step further. Jesus was the bread that was from the Father. Jesus says in John 6, 47, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my own flesh. It's still the season of Lent, and you've probably given up a bit more than you thought you would. But as we move towards Holy Week, towards the cross on Good Friday and the empty tomb on Easter morning, may we reflect on the provision that God has given us in his son, Jesus Christ. 
Through his death and resurrection, Jesus has reconciled us to the Father. Through the grace of Jesus, we now are able to be in relationship with God. Through Jesus' blood shed on the cross, we have been brought out of bondage and out of slavery to sin and death, and we have been freed from fear and anxiety. This doesn't mean that if you believe in Jesus that you won't get coronavirus. It doesn't mean that you're guaranteed good food or a comfortable life. You shouldn't go outside each morning looking to see if God has caused it to rain toilet paper. No, better than all of this, in Jesus Christ we have a guarantee of God's love and affection towards us. We have a guarantee of, his, of God's provision for us. In the midst of the wilderness, in the darkest night, in your living room while you're self-isolating, God is there. In Jesus Christ, God is with us. So, trust and rest. That's, that's what we need in this season. Practically, we need to trust each other, as Aaron said. We need to love our neighbor. We have to stop hoarding food. Buy just what we need. When we self-isolate or practice social distancing, we need to trust others. We need to let others into our lives, asking for help when we need it. We're going to go crazy if we don't talk to someone, okay? Spiritually, we need to trust in God, to trust in his promises that he will provide for us, and we can trust him because he's already provided for us. Every day, he has been sustaining us, and his compassion his tenderness towards his creation, and his love for us is unending. Finally, we must rest. Rest in the finished work of Christ. Rest, in the, rest from the overworked and exhausted spirit of our modern, modern world. Rest from your anxiety, from your fear and hopelessness. Rest and find your whole delight and joy in our risen Lord. Let me finish with the words that Jesus spoke in Matthew 11:28. And it might just be helpful if you maybe close your eyes and hold out your hands as I read. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St. Nick's Durham podcast. If you would like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St. Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.